Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I am... At, no, I couldn't. I, couldn't do it. I had to stop. I'm, I'm, Lena, I'm Lena Morgan. Hi, hello. Hi. Lena, I, I got one thing to say to you. Yes. Oi. Oi? But like, oi. But oi. Oi. O-O-Y. Oi. Period. Oi. No, no, no. Yeah. Oi as an oi. That was terrible, Lena. Oh. Hi, this is Song vs. Song. We are, uh... We are doing going to do a, a series of terrible British accents. Absolutely over the not. Course of- <laughs> All of my British accents are great. I was at a party the other day, and I just did the entire Hard Day's Night train sequence doing impressions of every Beatle, and I was dead on with all four. Well, I mean, uh, a, a Johnny Rotten impression is kind of like a Ringo impression, but mean. I mean, it certainly doesn't sound real. <laughs> all right, just because we have to say this eventually, this week... We are headed to the UK. We are arguing over the Sex Pistols anarchy in the UK versus the Clash's London Calling. And I, I believe you had already put in your vote before we finished the last episode. I don't know if, it, if we put it in the episode or not, but I, I think you had a pretty strong reaction right well, away. Well, I definitely on this knew one. who I was going to vote for. Um, it was pretty easy for me. Although, I will say that. There are a series of different metrics by mm-hmm. which we could vote. Because if you said, what's the better, what's the best punk anthem of the two? That's a very different question than what's the better song. I would say they're the exact same question. Because oh. really, being the better punk anthem is what I judge all music on. In fact, that's how I voted every single time. I'm like, which of these is the better punk anthem? I, th- I believe that's how I wound up picking Iris over... I don't want to miss a thing. I'll tell you what. I understand why people don't really like this podcast now. <laughs> it all adds up. We're it extremely popular sense. by podcast metrics. <laughs> okay. We're, we're pra- practically a Chapo Trap House over here. Wow. A reference for people. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then what's the better? Which one's the better? Which one's the better song? Okay. Being serious. Which one's the better song versus which one's the better punk anthem? Anarchy in the UK is obviously the better punk anthem. Which one's the better song? I mean, this one is also obviously Anarchy in the UK. So, oh, the face. Look on the face. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe that. But if you're going to argue for the Sex Pistols, you say a lot of things. Sure. Just like uh, if you are the Sex Pistols. John Lydon loves saying things. <laughs> Doesn't he just? There, There's a guy who really can talk. He loves um, to talk, yes. He certainly does. Anyway, uh, so if that's your answer, I would respectfully disagree. <laughs> Sex Pistols is a great, it has got the better punk anthem. Nobody really, I mean, I don't, nobody, it's never a positive thing to say. I would say the mini- minority of people are disinterested with the first two Clash albums, which are their punk period. Mm-hmm. And are far more interested in London Calling, the record, and the records that follow it, which represent their post-punk period. Yes. I think London Calling is a better song, and I would also say I don't think <laughs> it's controversial to call The Clash the better band. Yeah, no, this isn't uh, controversial at all. I'd say the Sex Pistols are up there with The Doors as bands whose cool coolness factor have dipped considerably over the decades in 2023. 
Well, certainly um, there's been a lot of a lot of backlash to the Sex Pistols over the years. And I would say even in just in the last couple years, right? Even just in the 2020s alone. Yeah. It kind of feels as though Gen Z is not really interested in them. And I don't know that millennials at this point are particularly interested in them either. But I don't know. When I, when I first started getting into music, uh, you know, the Sex Pistols were still pretty high up there. They were still widely, I don't know if respected is the word, but you'd see them on, you know, the 100 greatest albums lists and greatest artists lists all the time. When you do like Edge for Edge's sake, it doesn't always necessarily age well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting and I suppose we'll talk about it as we get in. But I feel like the the meme or the generalized conversation about the Sex Pistols in the modern day is they existed to sell T-shirts. <laughs> They are, uh, they are a vehicle for T-shirt sales. You know, I am. Um, I feel like there. If that's true, what's wrong with that? Like, that why has is that- an excellent point. But I, I would dare say that a lot of this conversation that we're about to have is going to revolve around two particular men, neither of whom are members of the band, either band. Actually, there there are you know many uh, names in this universe. For sure. so I don't know who the, who the two are. Uh, to me, the 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 names that um, come up the most would be um, Malcolm McLaren mm-hmm. and uh, Bernard Rhodes. Right, the the managers. Yes, um, the Svengalis. Yes, so they were they were both involved. In the creation of the Sex Pistols, McLaren was the manager for the Sex Pistols and uh, Rhodes got kind of ousted once the band was formed. Uh, And Rhodes was the manager for the first two albums of The Clash and then left or was ousted and then eventually came back. So he was actually not the manager during, during when London Calling came out. And yet I would argue that elements of what The Clash was uh, were still influenced during that time by him. You know, it's it's funny. Like, when I first started getting into music, like, the you know, the fact that they were, quote-unquote, a punk boy band, like a prefabricated band, was, like, a thing people would bring up all the time to demystify the Sex Pistols. And somehow The Clash got away with it. Yeah, they also were, right? Like, they yeah. also were a band where a couple guys got introduced to each other and then some other people got pulled in by those guys and then a band. Uh, Yeah. My argument uh, as far as the sex pistols is concerned is they weren't not created to sell (laughs) t-shirts. Yeah. However, one, that doesn't mean that they didn't also do a bunch of things that are relevant. And two, um, like you said, so what, especially if the apparel we're talking about is from, Vivian fucking Westwood. I don't know anything f- about fashion, so I don't know if Vivian Westwood's stuff is uh, cool. Uh, it is. Uh, she's uh, she's really something. She died recently, but um, but a lot of her fashion is enormously um, important in um, UK punk culture. I mean, the, you know, the, all that punk fashion in 1977 still looks real cool to me. I wouldn't wear it. She- she continued, real to, she continued to dress exactly in that kind of a manner all the way up until the end of her life. And uh, 
And she was married to Malcolm McLaren. So uh, interesting. McLaren's a really interesting guy. Um, I feel like so much. It's very strange that like John Lydon would dislike him and yet also very understandable. But they're similar in, in a number of respects, I feel. So let me uh, let me ask you really quick. Why are you uh, voting for London Calling here? Which I mean, like this, this is like it seems like a really obvious question, but I, I want to hear it out loud. I like it more musically, but more than that, I prefer it because Anarchy in the UK is just a punch in the face. <laughs> but I don't know that it's really a, a punch in the face with a great explanation. It's just like somebody was like, "Hey, you." And then I was like, what? And then I got punched in the face. Whereas London Calling is narrative poetry. It's very clearly about something. Uh, and that narrative poetry is, I would argue, tremendously well-written. What would you say it is about specifically? London Calling? It's, a, like, it's about a lot of things. It like is. It is about a lot of things. But I mean, so on a baseline, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of an apocalyptic anthem. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I always like the the idea of like talking about how the 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 Thames is going to overflow, <laughs> and that's the River like Thames, what, right? And that's like one of the things that is in that song, and the and they keep coming back to "I Live by the River" as a positive <laughs> thing, right? And I was like, oh, so this is a song about how like if the world's going to end, it's probably good to be like part of round one of the deaths. <laughs> I don't have to worry about shit anymore. Great. And I was like, this is relatable content to me. If the world ends, don't let me last too long. That sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if it's actually about that. It certainly uh, was. There were a bunch of news stories, all of which they kind of include in within the narrative. And just about how, yes, in fact, the world is kind of going to seed. Nothing I have ever heard about England makes it sound like it'd be like a fun place to live in the, in the 1970s. Seems like, a you know, every picture of it looks butt ugly. I, I think James Bond started having adventures in like other countries because like I, I can't I can't be here. <laughs> well, he certainly wouldn't want to have any right now either. Why? Why not? I mean, the UK seems like a fun place now. They have, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in the UK now. Brexit. Uh, they call. I it mean, turf, they call it Turf Island. That's a thing. That's true. Uh, it's not. It's. Not, I mean, like I'm not in England, so perhaps I should not speak to it. But uh, let me put it to you this way: I would not go over there right now, and I live in America, and things are pretty bad here. <laughs> the the pre Thatcher era. The, the kinds of shitty circumstances that allowed for somebody like Margaret Thatcher to come to power. It um, seemed like, I don't know, just like I always imagine like everything is in this like horrible, ugly BBC haze. Everything is brown and gray. There's just no color anywhere. At least in like America, you could like be discoing. I don't know if they even danced in the UK. They yeah, just stopped dancing entirely. I like this idea that you're selling the UK in the 1970s is like yeah. what like every fast food restaurant looked like in the 1980s. Yes. Brown. Brown and gray. Yeah. And sometimes with like a, a really sad red, a burnt, a burnt umber of some kind. But, <laughs> yes. But in a way that just really brings you down. What a weird time that we missed. Neither of us were alive for this, nor have oh, either I wouldn't of us say lived I've been in missing the UK. It, Lena, but- oh, you're so sad. You missed it. You missed out. Um, so wait, you see, listen, 
The Clash, you did like a whole train records on them. I feel yes, as I though you, you like probably the, the would have some things to say. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you did. I know you. You did the research. Mm-hmm. So talk about The Clash a little bit. I had heard before like that they were like kind of prefabricated and it kind of struck me like how much of it, their punkness was kind of a pose. Like I'd always heard like the sex pistols. Oh, they were just phonies. The clash is the real shit. They were like the real punks and they kind of really were not like they were, they were wearing it fashionably just like anybody, anybody else was like Joe Strummer was a rich kid. Mick Jones was like very upfront. He's like, no, this is a costume. And as soon as he was out of the band, I was like, I am going to do something else. And in fact, when they got big, he was like living it up. I was like, yes, I'm going to get myself a nice car. I'm going to date some models. I'm a rock star, baby. So that kind of um, damaged it a bit for me. But I think everyone agrees, like as songwriters, both those guys, Strummer and Jones, were just like, leagues ahead of anything the Sex Pistols were doing. Like, I can't even imagine a second Sex Pistols album. Like, well, and also, if they had stayed together, like, it would... I can't imagine it being any good or anyone caring about it. The thing about all the stuff that you said about The Clash is, I mean, I would agree. I guess it's just that's the thing about London Calling and Combat Rock and stuff like that, is that the music they're making is so clearly not punk rock, so they don't have to, <laughs> right? Like, the fashion becomes totally unimportant at that point or not or less important considerably less uh fashion is always important but the sex pistols the fashion was far more important and also um more important than the music was the bullshit they got up to right like mm-hmm. they're more about the conflict to this day that's true right like to it. this to this day when people talk about the sex pistols it's like oh hey remember when hulu did a, a series like a year or two ago about them. And oh, yeah, I didn't watch this, it. And, and I didn't watch it either. I felt like maybe I should for this, but then I didn't. Uh, but Same. like, but there's literally the story is like, I don't think about the Hulu thing, didn't watch it, but I do know that John Lydon insisted that they didn't ask him to be involved, but everybody else in the band and the people involved with the production were like, yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> And then he was like, fuck you, wankers, you know, like just yeah. mad about it. And, and then talked about how like he felt like a slave. And I was like, John fucking Lydon, Jesus, man, please stop. Stop. He I just mean, can't. like, I feel like just like maybe the music wasn't as important as the pose in the 70s. Like the decline of the Sex Pistols doesn't really have anything to do with people reassessing their music. It's just like people don't like John Lydon because he's a stupid loudmouth who says terrible things. Right. I mean, this look, here's the thing. John Lydon, as far as I can tell, is a guy who just says everything that comes into his head. Mm-hmm. So sometimes he's going to say things and I'm going to go agree. And other times he's going to say things and I'm going to go, what the fuck? I think at this point, it's pr- pretty notoriously well-trodden ground that he went from being anti-Republican because he, he lives in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then when it was Joe Biden versus Trump, he suddenly started like pulling out a MAGA hat. And I was like, oh, Jesus, man. Yeah. Nothing, I mean, nothing tells me that you don't care about anything other than getting attention like this. Yeah. I, I remember once in one of those like old VH1 shows, Henry Rollins talking about Johnny Rotten is like, if John Lydon was here, I'd pet him like a lap dog. He's just cute. And I, I feel like there is like kind of like this, like 
kid rock vibe to him where he will like lean on like an image that he thinks is cool, but it's like shallow. Like he doesn't even mean it. Like, I don't think kid rock really means it either. He's just like following whatever crowd he thinks is cool. And well, like, I, I, I was there. So there was a point in which, um, Leiden basically had said that he thought that like, um, gay marriage is bad. Yeah. I would say even this year, somebody was talking about how, um, it was weird that Leiden wanted to represent Ireland for Eurovision because of how fucking gay Eurovision is. And, <laughs> and do you know who responded to the accusations that Johnny Rotten is homophobic? Who? Boy fucking George. So this is a tweet. This is a tweet from January 10th of this year. Johnny okay. homophobic. Not in my experience. Hopefully a mistake or misunderstanding. Sometimes people say things just because they are told not to. Not defending it, but feels very unpunk. So a lot to a lot to unpack here. But I think it kind of falls into that. I would pet him like a lapdog thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he said this thing, but anyone who knows John Lydon knows that he's just talking to hear the sound of his own fucking voice. You're like, does he really have this problem with gay people? Maybe, but I bet he fucking doesn't. Yeah. In the 70s, during like when the Sex Pistols were, you know, around, they, he was walking around with fucking swastikas on. Boy, the whole punk rock music as it pertains to um, Nazis is fascinating. <laughs> um, a, th- a word I don't usually use to describe the use of Nazi, Nazi paraphernalia. But, you know, there's a real argument to be made, uh, especially considering the fact that both those um, both those guys that I talked about at the top, right, both managers, Jewish. Um <laughs> A lot of a lot of American punk rockers, Jewish. Uh, there is an argument to be made that the punk rock movement of the 1970s was really the first time in which, in the public consciousness, music was actually talking about the Holocaust at all in a really meaningful way. And you've got the Sex Pistols who are doing it in this sneering way. And I would argue that if you look, there's a song of the clashes where they where they talk about it too, where it's a little more intellectual. And I think that you get both sides of the punk movement, right? Where mm-hmm. they are either talking about it in a sneering way as just like an like like just an angry response, and others trying to do it in a way that's more thoughtful. But I would argue that punk, more often than not, if you're going to talk about it in these terms, despite the fact that Sometimes it's just people wearing the paraphernalia because they think that it'll get a shock reaction. For the most part, punk rock as a movement is trying to cope with the long-term uh, results of the Holocaust. Like, there's there are papers written about this. Um, I don't know that John Lydon particularly fits into that very much. How fucking ever, I think that punk rock as a whole is pretty anti-Nazi. <laughs> I would say so. Unfortunately, the music Nazis do like to listen to tends to be punk rock or resemble it. Well, they like metal. That's a metal. They like metal too, yes. That's an, that's another big one. But, you know, I mean, Nazis always want to be getting in on shit that ain't theirs, so whatever. Um, I don't know. We should we should probably talk about the bands again. What do you say? Here we go. All right. I don't know why, but I think up to like even like six months ago, I would have said London calling easily. And I don't know something about it. I just, I don't know. I feel really angry. I feel really angry. And I don't feel like, uh, 
being like political about it. I don't like want it to say anything. Maybe I'm just fucking pissed off. And like, so I kind of instinctively drifted towards anarchy in the UK this time. And it's not just, I don't know, like both sides of the, the universe right now seem to be like trying to make their version of wholesomeness. And I just, I'm just tired. I don't I, like, maybe I just want to scream and rant. So a funny thing is that, uh, there are a couple occasions where John Lydon says things and I go, nah, that's right. <laughs> um, what I will tell you is that um, the success of Anarchy in the UK actually had him talking about how middle class the idea of anarchism actually is. Right? He was right. like, you would only believe that that kind of chaos is a good idea if you thought you'd be fine. And I was like, that's correct. That's right. Like a moment's anarchy, right? Like a little bit of chaos to disrupt. Sure. Right. Which I think ultimately is what the song is actually about. Right. I don't yeah. know that it's a true embracing of the idea of perpetual chaos he, forever. It's I mean, the he idea does, that he doesn't know what he wants. Right. But he knows where to get it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I always viewed the song as this idea that like we need a little bit of anarchy right now to disrupt whoever, you know, and I mean, like, I, you know, I think that that's a, a fair argument to make, but the idea of anarchy as like a political party, like things just should always be chaotic all the time is, yes, a thing you would only believe if you had money, had power, had good health, right? If you had all of the things going for you, you would be fine regardless. But if you're not in that position, you would probably feel differently, um, the other thing that John Lydon has said, it's funny, right? Like, cause he loves complaining about wokeism. He's one of those guys. That sounds right. But he said this thing once where he was basically talking about how self-centered people are when they go, well, as a blank. And I was like, no, that's also right. <laughs> <laughs> like I, the, not everybody, but certainly you, you, we both know those people that go on social media and center themselves right. in a thing that's nothing to do with them, with the was of this person, right? And you're like, okay, but this is nothing to do with you. And you just thought if you'd say this at the front, you would seem like you were being self, like you were caring about other people. But it's, mm -hmm. it's transparently obvious that you only give a shit about yourself. I don't know if that's what John Lydon meant when he was talking about this, but like, Again, there's a difference. There's a difference between like some people behaving this way, and you're like, I don't buy what you're selling, chief. And the idea of woke, whatever the fuck that means, as a whole, being bad. Like he's almost there. He's so <laughs> close to a point, and you're like, God damn it, Lydon. Yeah. If you just thought before you spoke, we'd be fine. Yeah. The thing about London Calling is that you don't necessarily have to know what it's about to get the sense that like Joe Strummer and Mick Jones are, they're not just like punching into the void. They are upset about something specific or many, many specific things. And like actually trying to listen to it and trying to understand it, like what it was about for the first time for this. I'm just like, this is about everything. This is about, it almost feels like very modern it's like absorbing too much bad news all at once. Yes. In, in that regard, it almost kind of reminds me of a love it. If we made it by the 1975 where it's just like a mess 
of shit we've absorbed through social media, just like spewing out and being pissed off about it. Like, man, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with any of this. This country is going to sink into the fucking ocean. We're going to, uh, the nukes are going to go off. The nuclear plants are all going to melt down and the rivers are going to, uh, rise and consume us all. Yes. And, and if you're the sex pistols, you're like, yeah, let it happen. (laughs) Sounds good, but not really, but yeah, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like that's so frustrating because John Lydon said the thing about how it's kind of a middle-class idea but he's still singing the song and you're like, right. So you really like, you really, you really were kind of doing this because you wanted attention. Yeah. Like clearly he wasn't doing it for the, for the groupies. Like I believe that, you know, he, he's been pretty clear about this idea that like he, he married a woman much older than him or he dated her and then they were just together. So fucking long. Um, I feel almost bad being so critical of John Lydon, but like, <laughs> would he really want me to behave in any other way? I hope not. That would be really hypocritical. But uh, yes, for the record, um, relatively recently, his his wife passed away, and uh, he was like her caregiver for a very long time because uh, she was dealing with uh, an illness that very slowly killed her. And um, I don't I don't wish to piss on every aspect of this man. That seems really shitty. And regarding history, like the idea that John Lydon was in the Sex Pistols to get laid, I don't think is accurate. I don't think that's a fair statement. Yeah. I watched the Sex Pistols documentary once. It came out in like the year 2000 or something. And like Johnny Rotten starts, you know, fucking breaking down and crying over Sid Vicious, a guy who I don't even think he liked very much. I don't know. It was like, it, it kind of it really weirded me out. Like he's, he's standing there with, with tears coming out his face and he's choked up about it. Like that really changed my image. Like even more so than like, all of the, like, Public Image Limited, which is, like, a completely different band that he had. I guess you have to, you cannot be Johnny Rotten 100% of the time. The thing is, we can talk through and through about members of that band, but in the end, it's just, it's not about them being in a band, right? Like, mm-hmm. none of this stuff really has any, like, the only thing that you really locked onto that feels relevant is, maybe I just want to be angry. That's it. If that's the metric, right, if that's the mm-hmm. thing we're talking about, then yes, that is anarchy and the UK's greatest success. Do you want to be told that it is okay to sneer, to make the that face, that like Elvisy face? <laughs> um, you made the weirdest version of that face. I'm well. I'm. It, it looked like the David Letterman got any gum face. Uh, got any gum. No one's going to get that. I, I hope, Look I it hope up. one person gets that reference. Look it up. I understood that reference. Anyway, yeah, I just, I don't, that's it. That's, you know, that's the thing that kind of makes it, I think, pretty good at being punk, right? Because when you think about punk rock, I, we're all aware that, of course, it has, like, a deeper meanings. But to some extent, the goal of punk is to be fast and loud. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, like that's the you, thing, you like, listen to Anarchy in the UK and the rest of the 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 songs on um, Never, Never Mind, mind the, bollocks. the Bollocks. Never mind the Bollocks. Aye, 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 aye. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like they're all kind of of a piece, right? They're designed to quick get in, get out, piss off the right people, and excite the, the other people, and then be gone. 
Well, like punk you rock say, being, being loud and fast. London Calling is not super loud and it's not fast. It's a, well, it's a that's London Calling is not a punk album. That's the thing. It is it often is, credited as being the first post punk album, isn't it? I, I I didn't realize, but yeah, absolutely, because they they do so many different things. I'm not like a huge punk rock fan because punk rock gets very boring. Like I said, I can't imagine listening to the second Imaginary Sex Pistols album. I don't think I would want to. I don't. I think it's good that they never release a second album versus London Calling, which is like light years ahead. I mean, the song and the album. It's light streets years ahead. ahead. It's streets ahead. That's authentic punk rock slang from the UK. <laughs> uh, I think that London Calling is a record. Uh, it came out at the very end of 79. It came out like December 79 in the mm-hmm. UK and it came out um, January 1980 in the US. They were the only band that matters. I mean, there was an there. It's interesting because it's uh, somewhere it was said, I think it was said in Rolling Stone magazine that it's the best album of the 1980s. <laughs> and then I think the clash took issue with it. More like it came out in 1979, actually. And the Rolling, and Rolling Stone was like, if anybody has a better answer <laughs> for what we said, if you think we're wrong, please tell us a better album. It technically came out in the 1980s where we are right now. So uh, if we're splitting hairs. But yeah, I mean, that, I think that it, is a it, 1979 album all the way through and through. That's a 70s right. album. I don't. It's, it's an interesting thing that you've said. I'm not sure I agree. Uh, December 1979 is the 70s. However, it, it depends. Like J- January of 1990 is the 80s. 1989 is. Uh, yeah, I. I feel like any punk rock album should be counted as an honorary 70s album, even if it came out in the 80s. Because when I think of 80s albums, I'm not thinking Black Flag or Dead Kennedys or anything like that. I can see how it, it kind of straddles both decades, London Calling. But like there is the kind of anxiety that London Calling projects, even though they're a London band, Reagan-esque, like just like... <laughs> The and 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 by that uh, extension, Thatcher, um, you know that well, feeling Thatcher, of Thatcher of, was uh, in power by I know I know right? yeah, and that's the thing is that like I think like even though Thatcher is not she even though she predates Reagan right like Thatcher is like the beginning of what the 1980s is going to be right of how I perceive the 1980s um, because when you go hey what was the 1980s what, what was that like and I'm like well Reagan was was president for eight fucking years. Uh, and he did all of the things that you've heard Reagan did. It was wall-to-wall carpeting. You mean he restored America's place at the top of the, the, the leadership of the free world is where I think you're going with this, right? Uh, you got it. That's <laughs> definitely how I feel about Ronald Reagan. Uh, yep. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that there is an existential crisis um, that, that straddles the 70s and 80s in general, right? And... I think that London Calling is a song that really does feel like, well, you can feel that we're about to do something to try to deal with this, but it's probably a bad idea, the thing we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a, a weird thing that I, I don't know if you're even going to completely get where I'm coming from. Did you ever see uh, The Worst Person in the World? No. It was nominated for like an Oscar a couple years ago. It's a foreign movie. Well, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. There's a scene in there where, like, uh, the main guy, he was, like, an underground cartoonist, and his stuff is being turned into, like, a big friendly kids movie, and then he's doing an interview, and some super offended lady is 
uh, host is giving him shit for his like uh, early edgy stuff with all the bunch of incest, rape, humor and stuff like that. She doesn't like seem super sympathetic, but he like completely face plants trying to defend himself because he doesn't really know why he did any of that or why he wrote any of that. And I used to think is like when like the monoculture is so oppressive, just doing something shocking is like legitimate. It is like an actual thing that needs to happen. But like when you have broken the culture or you have like gotten some kind of cultural cloud over there, you do have like the responsibility to actually say something. And so like, the Sex Pistols were always going to age a little weirdly, much worse than The Clash did, because The Clash very much stood for something. Yeah, they really cut the crap, didn't they? <laughs> I, I I don't think we need to bring up their worst, lowest moment. Although, like, right. researching all that stuff did, it was like seeing the man behind the curtain. I did not enjoy what I saw. <laughs> like, that's I, when they just, like, completely lost the plot, and they were, like, trying too hard to wear the costume. The, the they were just like just like a good band, a really good band who made really good music and were really good songwriters. I, you know, I think that I, I wish that was like the fir- thing we said first. They were good at it. They made good fucking music. Yes. And, and uh, there are arguments to be made that there were members of the Sex Pistols that had no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> that is frequently said, in fact. Yes. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about um, Malcolm McLaren. And I was going to uh, draw a very strange comparison, um, right. which feels mar- much more my gender than yours. But um, so, do you know who uh, William Castle is? The uh, made horror movies in the fifties. That guy. Yeah. All right. For those who don't know, William Castle made movies like uh, The Tingler and House, House on, on Haunted Hill, Hill and uh, a bunch of other movies that were all Thirteen Ghosts. Um, Mr. Sardonicus, his whole thing was he wanted to make movies that had a gimmick that would give people a unique movie-going experience and keep them talking even after they left the theater, right? That they would remember the experience. That was the thing that he thought would drive his success and drive the success of his films. Not that the movies themselves were any good, but that the gimmick was a thing they'd remember. I am a huge defender of William Castle and this idea. It's ridiculous, but like he he would there's a thing that he did that I thought was so fucking punk. So people sometimes were like sneak into a movie halfway through, right? Where it's like they went to see one movie and they'd finish watching that movie and they'd come in and catch the tail end of another movie, you know, just because they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they'd like leave early or whatever, like whatever it was. So th- he had a movie where one of the gimmicks was if you left the theater, they would publicly shame you and call you a, like a like a weak baby or something. <laughs> now he knew that nobody was leaving because they were actually too scared by what he'd made because his movies weren't scary. But he They're knew really that not. they were that they were leaving to to try and act slick to go and s- catch another film or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. So what he did was he called them out for pulling that bullshit on his movie and in the process created his own hype, helping the movie that he had made in the first place. Brilliant. A genius, as far as I'm concerned, and a pretty fucking punk thing to do. William Castle, also Jewish, by the way, Uh, apropos of fucking nothing, but uh, he was very smart and his limitation was 
ultimately art. Because you know what movie he was able to produce and had the rights to produce, but was not allowed to direct Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Oh. He wanted to direct that movie, but they wouldn't let him. So he, w- he had a producer credit on it because he was one of the people that fit the bill for it. But obviously uh, a very different <laughs> director who has his own very unfortunate history um, directed that film. <laughs> yes. However, um, that director understood how to be an artist, right? Rosemary's Baby is a brilliant film that is about something. Um, it is about a lot of things. It is about the state of society and culture in the 1960s. It is about the idea of how terrifying it is to be a woman who is pregnant in that world where all of a sudden your own body is kind of betraying you in ways that you can't understand. Like it is a movie about something, but William Castle could produce it, but he couldn't make it right. And I think that that's kind of like just that's Malcolm McLaren all over and I think to an extent that's a little bit of Bernard Rhodes too it's kind of both of them that they both like Bernard Rhodes had ideas but like I wouldn't ideas. go like but like the Sex Pistols are a William Castle directed movie and London Calling is like Rosemary's Baby it's fucking about something you know I was curious where you're going with this I get it I, I get it that does make total sense I know uh, a thing or two about a thing or two <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think, you know, John Lydon with his post-punk stuff, I think he made a case, you know, he is like a, like a legitimate artist, not a guy just throwing shit at the wall. And if at some point, maybe I'll do like a big audio dynamite versus public image limited. See, like, see if we get any votes for that. (laughs) We might. Somebody out there cares. Well, we've kind of talked this one blue in the face, right? We got, we've we've got to the questions. Let me say like, I was inspired to make this the next question. Thing because I because we had a fucking coronation, we had a coronation, we did, and like both. I mean, these, we is a bold statement, but yeah, we the the free world. I guess I don't know if it, is that is, is the free world still a thing. I don't even know. No, the, the, uh, the our, world costs buck ninety five now. I'm sorry. Yeah, our special friends across the pond crowned a king. I feel like anarchy in the UK is the song I would play while listening to that. Not London Calling, which has been kind of like. I don't know. London Calling is like the UK's national anthem now. Very it's telling. Been, isn't it? I mean, like, not that anarchy in the UK hasn't also become kind of cute over the decades, as all great rock anthems do. What's cool and edgy and daring in 1979 is not what's cool and edgy and daring in 2023. But if I were to play one of them, I would want to play anarchy in the UK over it. Like, Lionel Richie and uh, Katy Perry, I think, performed London Calling. At the coronation. That checks out. Isn't it interesting, though, that when uh, when the Queen died and people wanted to play God Save the Queen, like, as a as a dig? The, the but, Sex Pistols, but, God Save the Queen, or the... Y- yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and John Lydon was like, mm, that's not very nice. A woman's died. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Oh, what you- are you talking about? See, that's why that's why I, I, I sort of reached a conclusion a long time ago that John Lydon is just in it for himself, right? Like, he just wants a little piece of control. Like, a guy who is talking about anarchy, but he doesn't really like anarchy. What he wants is for things to be disrupted so that his voice can be heard and maybe he'll have control because he wants to be in control of everything, uh, I think, is what's really happening there. If, if there is a meaning to be divined from that man's ramblings over the years— my conclusion is that he just thinks he knows better. And I would say that for the most part, he is 
Incorrect. Uh, especially if he's going to go, well, that, that, that nice old lady died and she was, <laughs> she was, she was a real class act. What is she? What the, what the fuck? Who are you? That's actually very funny. Listen, man, when you, you, you put art out in the world and now it doesn't belong to you anymore. I'm, I regret to inform you, but people are allowed to play your music as a, uh, as a, as a middle finger, or I suppose it's a two finger salute if we're in the UK at the queen. People don't like the monarchy. They're allowed to use this song that you wrote about not liking the monarchy for that purpose. I guess like the Sex Pistols have uh, somehow resisted being a uh, classic rockified in a way the Clash haven't. I mean, yeah. like, should I stay? Should I go now? That's like that's that's a very classic Rocky song. Like, well, here, well, here's a question that I don't actually have the answer to. I didn't look it up. I know the Clash are in are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Are the Sex Pistols in the Rock Hall? Oh yes, they uh, were inducted in 2006. I remember it because you know I watched it was watching all the ceremonies at the time. And, uh, you know, they do a big thing. It's like, here's like a big tribute to Black Sabbath. Metallica's here. And like, they're all here to give a speech. They did not put out a video package for the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols were not there. Instead, they just read an angry note from that Johnny Rotten sent them and said, fuck you and fuck off. But like for a full page. I, do, I don't like your institution and go away. You know, that actually works for me. <laughs> yeah. If they're going to induct them in there, I would hope that John Lydon would just write a letter saying, I mean, like, of course he said, fuck you and fuck your institution. And what he should have written was, why would you ever induct the Sex Pistols? We clearly do not belong in this thing at all. (laughs) That's what he should have said. It's Um, weird that we're making the case that the Sex Pistols were good by being bad, because like the Clash were obviously such a better band. But that's, I mean, again, like that really speaks to... um, to Malcolm McLaren specifically, like I, I hate to to beat a dead horse, except that I do it every time. But Malcolm McLaren um, was raised up by his grandmother, who apparently very famously said to him very early, uh, to be bad is good because to be good is simply boring. <laughs> there it is from the, the mouth of grandma. What's the best song on London Calling? Oh, that's really hard. Do you have an answer to this? For me, it's Lost in the Supermarket. Oh, it's a good song. Oh, man. Um, you only have like 30 to choose from. Yeah, I know. Why? It's For people who don't know, um, they pulled the fast one because they wanted to make a double album and then they were told no and then they found a way to like trick them in, trick their producers or trick their label into letting them do it. Except that the label didn't even know that it had happened at first because they because the price on the previous record had gone up. Right. And they felt that that their fans had been ripped off based on the cost. So they were like, we're going to release a double album for the price of a single album. Uh, now, I don't know if there's a double album's worth of music in here that I'm like, all of these songs are super necessary. Uh, you could make an argument for it. It is a very solid record. Yeah. I, I I feel like it's like the white album, even the ba- even the, the the bad ones are good, and there's no, I don't think there's any like real bad one. Yeah, on, I mean uh, I think that like very boring answer. Um, I don't even know that it's the best song, but if you're going like oh what's the one that you like best, I will always stand for Rudy Can't Fail. Like I like that song. I couldn't even tell you why. Rudy Can't Fail. Like it's just got like I feel like so much of the the ska music that I listened to in the 90s 
is born out of some of the sound of that song. It's either Lost in the Supermarket or Spanish Bombs for me. Oh, man. that's a, that, that was a consideration for me. Spanish Bombs is great. I like Guns of Brixton. I don't know. It's, it's a great album. It's really good. Um, yeah, but this I, one I even side, like, too, is pretty unstoppable. I don't know. I mean, I, I, like, um, I like Brand New Cadillac. I would argue. So, like, I don't really like Jimmy Jazz. There's a, there's a song that I don't particularly like on that album. Don't hate it, but like I wouldn't rank it super high. Um, but yeah, I think that like once you get to the second side, once you get to the last part of that album, it's pretty great. And the fact that like it's funny that Train in Vain Stand by Me is not even like listed on the original release. <laughs> it's I think that's their like best pop song. It is very poppy. It's a great song. It's just it it's interesting that like it wasn't in, it wasn't intended to not be listed, but in a way it makes kind of a kind of sense because it doesn't feel like the rest of the album. Yeah, I I get it. It's more of this. The should I stay or should I go now? Right? Like, yeah, it's got it, it way feels more, more of like a energy. combat rock song than a, a London Calling song. Yeah, I I guess I would say I also don't really like Rung Rung a Boyo that much. Like, <laughs> that's not really one of my favorites. Um, but I would like if you were if we were gonna put London Calling on an uh, an S tier down to an F tier, would you put it in an S or an A tier, or would you put it lower than that? I'm a grown ass person, so I don't talk about fucking S tiers. You're such a fucking child. <laughs> Just answer the question. Not an S tier. It's a C tier record, dude. That record I was going to say B is is it for me? It's C tier. No, no, no I, I, would, I would I would I would rank. I, I feel like I would rank it higher. Eh. I, I like it more than most punk rock records. Uh, I don't. It's interesting. I think that uh, in the end, before we move on, a lot of why I don't connect as much as is because this album is not my my nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'd had a discussion with a buddy of mine from my music club. He wrote an article where he was talking about like overrated things in 90s punk rock. And on his list was no effects, every album. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how dare you? Punk and Drublick is a classic. <laughs> uh, don't call me white. Obviously disregarded. We're not counting. We, we pretend we don't know her. Uh, but come on, man. And he was like, "Go back and listen again." The back half of this out al- that album sucks. And I was like, Arr! "You might be right." Um, but the thing is, like the '90s meaningless punk rock is the stuff that I grew up on. Right? I was the yeah. right age. It was music that was coming out at that moment, and a lot of it wasn't really about anything. But it just had that energy, right? That sneering, kind of pissed off, kind of just trucking around, just to truck around kind of vibe. So I like that music a lot. Um, so I get it. I think I think that argument initially that you made about anarchy in the UK makes sense if you heard it when you were younger. Whereas I think I heard that song not actually that much when I was younger. It's not really my nostalgia. All right. All right. Let's do it. We do a thing after we talk for 10 billion years like we do in an episode like this where we do four questions and the four questions are designed to take all of the gobbledygook of what we said and make it make sense. Put it in a formula, if you will. The first question is a question of cultural importance. One of these songs is going to stick around. It's going to be around forever. And the other one is going away. Get lost. Get out of my house like you were never here. Todd for the culture. Which one of these songs has to stay? I'm horrified. Shit. Um, this for, is, in I fact, could, actually kind of tough. It's incredibly tough. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how to fucking answer that. Um, shit. 
shit, shit. I I, I kind of want to say that like Anarchy in the UK is the, like the 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 more influential one. I mean, it came out first. Yeah, I'm gonna I stick with that. Just like the importance of Anarchy in the UK is more important. Like London Calling is like the Clash's best song, but like their second best song is like also really good. I, and they have I many be, second best songs. I would be very sad to live in the world without London Calling, right? Yes. I know I personally would be less sad to live in a world without Anarchy in the UK because I don't really give a fuck. However, I will say, the, them boys sneered so the world could sneer back at them. Yes. And that feels and that feels important. So I, I agree. It's got to stay. The punk rock song that all the punk rockers sneered back at. Yes. Uh, all right. Question... Question number two. Oh, boy. Um, you could be a fly on the wall. Experience soup to nuts the entire process. Recording of albums and experiences happening around said albums. And uh, and also a music video, if you like, of one and only one of these two songs. Todd, what is the one that you want to see how the sausage got made? I think London Calling, probably. Oh, no way. Oh, really? No Actually, way. hold on. I was like, just like, man, like that's a, you know, such a musician's song. Like to see that get put together. Like, no, the Sex Pistols are more interesting people. I just, yeah, I just to think about all the nonsense. Think about um, them being in a boat going down the Thames, playing, playing "God Save the Queen." Yeah, to to go along with a jubilee. Like, I just there's there's so many things that were happening at that time, right? That I just, if I get to have the whole experience, because really, what you're saying is you get that whole time. That also right. means that like. Oh man, do I get to go and like steal some of like Vivian Westwood's like earliest creations for myself? Holy fucking shit, that would rule. Um, boy, it really was about the clothes for me. Um, yep. But yeah, for me, that's that's pretty easy. Question number three: Megan Thee Stallion gonna get up to a night of hot girl shit. Uh, she's getting ready. She's got a playlist on, and one and only one of these songs is gonna be on it. Todd, now and forever. Which one of these two songs is hot girl shit? I feel like it. I feel like I, this is the third one that's got to go to the Sex Pistols. London Calling is too uh, unhappy. I, yeah, I, yeah. I was, I was like trying to. I was like, what kind of night could I? <laughs> what kind of Meg night am I having in order to I justify mean, like London it, Calling? Like, I think you can make a case for London Calling being hot girl shit if you like really worked at it. But like, it's it's much easier to make that case for Anarchy in the UK. I think you're right, uh, and I have a bad feeling that it's we're, we might have going to be a sweep. Yeah, it might be a sweep. William Shatner. Most of this, this is the most important question, not just of our show, but the, of, uh, of of all questions in the history of humankind. William Shatner, Sir William. Sh- He's not a sir. Um, <laughs> sir William of Shatner. Yes, Th- thespian, equestrian, uh, musician. Not quite, but he does do Shatner versions of many of your favorite songs, and he's going to do a version of one and only one of these two songs. Todd, which one of these songs must be shat upon? Yeah, I think I think it's a full sweep for the Sex Pistols. I came in here thinking I would ha- I'd have to come out strong defending the Sex Pistols. Now I feel like I, I did it wrong. I need to defend the Clash more. This really does speak to the immediacy of things, right? Yeah. Yes, my argument for why it has to be anarchy in the UK is because John Lydon and William Shatner are the same picture. <laughs> that's it. Oh, yeah. Say that's the same. That's the same guy. And you know what? I why I really believe that. that 
you ever see there's a great interview with Brent Spiner where um, he apparently had had like a disagreement of some kind with William Shatner on Twitter. Twitter, a place where William Shatner is like famously a real edgelord and a very like anti-woke sort of way. Uh, and he thought that he had upset William Shatner. So he called Bill on the phone and was like, Bill, or he like came to his yeah. house or some crazy thing like that. And he was like, Bill, I'm so sorry. And Shatner was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Because he just has some guy, some asshole who runs his right. Twitter to keep people interested in him by saying outlandish things. And I was like, that's, that sounds like John Lydon is the guy who runs Bill Shatner's Twitter. That's my continuity. That's my you, that's you my mean, canon. John Lydon runs Bill Shatner's Twitter. You mean to Twitter tell me account. that George Takei does not constantly come up with witty things to say on Twitter? Hard to believe, but uh, I think maybe true. Anyway, all right, that's completely far afield. Now that we've talked for a fucking hour, yep. Jesus, the time has come for the people whose opinions actually matter. The listener comments, Todd. Let the smart people have a right. say. Connor Rankin writes, the Sex Pistols walk so that much better punk bands could run. That's not wrong. All right. Like Johnny Riches writes, thankful that Todd and Lena threw us a softball matchup so as to try and redeem the song versus song fan base after last episode's voting debacle. That is a very <laughs> upsetting episode for everybody. <laughs> upsetting for you and upsetting for us. Yes. We all should feel ashamed. Uh, Kevin James writes, and I assume not the Kevin James, but uh, if it is. You don't know. Long time listener, Kevin James. Yeah. Loved you in Zookeeper. Yeah, anyway. King, King, King of Queens. Love that guy. Right? Yeah. That's who that guy is? Yeah. Great. Anyway, Kevin James writes, clearly the answer is London Calling, because how else would movies establish which scenes were set in England without an aerial shot of Big Ben while London Calling was playing? Good point, Ball Blart. Dun, 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 dun. Franco Del Rosario writes, I'm voting for the obvious third party choice, which is S Club Party. <laughs> S Club. Ain't no party like an S Club Party. Not the same era, but exactly as punk rock. Roasted. I can't even tell who we're roasting, but sure. All right. All right. Justy writes, according to the late, great Kurt Cobain, one of these two albums, these songs are from, had the best production of any rock record he'd ever heard that the band deserved all the fame they'd ever received, and that he identified with the sensitive lead singer. I, however, disagree and prefer London Calling. What? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like, I, I can't tell if this is like an actual thing Kurt Cobain actually said once. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. We're stopping the podcast on a fucking dime, and we're looking it up. It says here that uh, John Lydon loved Nirvana. I bet. But John Lydon has forgiven Nirvana for copying the Sex Pistols. <laughs> You All little, right. you little bitch. Shut up. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm looking it up. Kurt Cobain really, really did love, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols. Wild to me. Well, yes. I mean, I don't, I, we don't have to agree on everything, especially since one of these guys is no longer alive, but um, yeah, that is well, surprising I mean, to me. RIP. Oh yeah, it's like, Kurt Cobain says, the Clash were always a bad imitation of the Rolling Stones. What? In, in love with America. Uh, wow, he really... Johnny Rotten was the one I identified with. He was the sensitive one. Like, this is all actual quotes. Holy shit. Well... Wow. Uh, I thought this comment might have been joking, but it's uh, very real. We, we all learned something today. 
something yes. terrible. All right. Osprey Pocock writes, The Clash let London Calling be used for nearly every advertising campaign in the run-up to the London 2012 Olympics. Johnny Rotten ended up appearing in commercials for Country Life Butter. I think the Clash edges this one in the retaining dignity while selling out steaks. I mean, but uh, but, but I like butter. <laughs> well, but I like butter, the, but butter is delicious. You don't like the Olympics? No, no. I mean, if listen, if I can only have one thing, the Olympics or butter. <laughs> for for what it's worth, I kind of mangled that one. Didn't say commercials for Country Life Butter. It said adverts for Country Life Butter. Ah, I see. You yes. you're try you're really trying to get me to to pull out my my bad British accent, but I'm not taking the bait. All right, Gal Hazor writes. I have to vote for London Calling because it's the better song and Joe, St- Joe Strummer morphs into a crow in the middle of it. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. That was more Mrs. Doubtfire. Sorry. I can't do. I All like right. that. I like that's what he actually turns into Mrs. Doubtfire partway through. <laughs> ooh, All right. Lazarus writes, the clash is Taylor Swift of pop punk. Connor Rankin replies, no, that's the Sex Pistols. Felix O'Ryan says, I have no idea if any of this is meant to be a compliment or an insult, and I'm so confused right now. Yeah, I don't know. I was literally just having a conversation the other day about how whatever I may think about Taylor Swift's decisions in in public view sometimes, (laughs) I would not argue that she is bad at making music. I wouldn't be like, Uh, man, she's just such a bad songwriter. No. All right. One last one from Josie. All the comments about Johnny Rotten made me finally made me finally realize that he is not just a metaphorical entity made up by Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should not have told you that while you were drinking water. I kept it in. Uh, this is a story of a Johnny Rotten. I heard Johnny Rotten like he's like no, I have no idea what that song means. All right. Anyway, we have talked, Better we have to talked. Better out than it is to sell butter. <laughs> All right. We have talked and talked and talked and talked. One thing left. The results. Lena, who do you think won and by how much? I believe that the listeners have come to redeem themselves. All right. And I believe that London Calling will be the victor. I, in fact, have not looked at all. All right. So I have no idea what the result is. By how much? Uh, I think it'll be, um, I don't think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be a, a 60-40 split. That's my guess. All right. I mean, like, if it was, like, a presidential election, 60-40 would be humongous. So Right, but in our realm, that's not, it's not quite like that. All right. For a total of 613 to 125, that's an 83 to 17% split. The winner... Ever feel like you've been cheated? The winner is London Calling. Oh, by wow. a gigantic right. landslide. Great. Honestly, that I wasn't expecting everybody to redeem themselves that hard, but congratulations. You did it. You really came back. Oh, wow. A- after that... doing the chronic dirty last time. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I didn't think. Let's say the Sex Pistols are, you know, their edgelord bullshit has, you know, is not popular right now. No, it's not. I, you know, I don't think that's a bad song. Again, like it gets in and gets out and it does what it set out to do. Um, I think, I guess. But London Calling is just, if we're, if we're going based on what is the better composition, 
it's not a tough call. I mean, that that riff, that groove, like it's unstoppable. That's the reason why you instantly play it every time you look at a picture of London. Oh, well, thank you for listening, everybody. We talk and we talk and we wouldn't be able to do it without you and especially your contributions on Patreon, which are very important. And if you would like to uh, support us in a different way, one of us in this podcast has a musical that is uh, going to be playing uh, in New York for at least two more weekends. Oh, yeah. How about that? Yeah, it'll run until, uh, I think, June 4th. Or I feel like it's it's my show. I feel like I should have the answer to this question. Yeah, June 4th uh, runs Thursdays through Sundays. Uh, it is called Khan the Musical. It is about Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. Uh, if you look on the internet, many people have raved about how good it is. And even though I'm only 5% responsible for it, I'm going to pretend that it's all me. Uh, it's very good. It's at the Players Theater, which is on McDougal. Um, affordable pricing now. Uh, if you're in the New York area, I would highly recommend checking it out, even if you are not a Star Trek fan, because apparently we now have people saying they never saw Star Trek and they still think the show is great. So that's nice. Only one guy said he didn't like it. And you know why he said that, Todd? Why? Because he didn't even see it. He saw an ad and made a YouTube video about how it sounded bad and stupid. Oh. And well, I was like, all right, man, thanks for the free ad. Well, I mean, like, that's publicity, right? Like, that's, even yes, bad that's publicity a, is good publicity. That's literally why I bring it up, because I Punk watched rock. it, and I was like, I was like thanks, dude. <laughs> Thank you for the free advertisement. I'm definitely not going to tell people where to find you, but thanks for the free ad. Thank you, and please, please give us money on Patreon. Every time we run long, our editor charges us more. So. Yeah, there you go. Great. Thank you for telling them that information, Todd. But yeah, yeah. I, I, look, just say the truth. I'm greedy as hell. Give me all your money. You ready for the next episode? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. It's Wannabe versus Mbop. Oh. Get ready for 1997. We're doing uh, Spice Girls Wannabe versus Hanson's Mbop so that we can finally reenact Celebrity Deathmatch, the inspiration for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I guess, I guess the, my response to that is, I'll allow it. <laughs> All right. See you later, everybody. Bye. Bye.